Well, good morning. How are we? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. You can find your way with me to Philippians chapter 3. While you do, my name is Justin, one of your pastors here at Northeast, and I want to take a quick moment, pause, and say thank you. Thank you for giving me the privilege over the last couple weeks of being able to teach. Uh, It's been a joy. It's been an honor to just open up our Bibles together. I look forward to doing it yet again this morning, but thank you for that. We're pressing on this morning in our sermon series that we're calling Perspective. And what we're doing in this time is we're walking through the book of Philippians together. We're walking through it to see what God says about perspective, how important it is for us to see rightly our lives and His Word. Um, And so it's been an incredible time. We've looked through several uh, things that just have massive implications for our relationships. Uh, both for our relationships with God, but also with our relationships together. We're going to continue on in that this morning uh, as we look at Paul's perspective on true maturity. Now, I bet if I took each one of us off to the side and asked you, what is true maturity in Christ? What does it mean for us to be truly mature? What does it look like? What does that look like for a man or a woman to be truly mature in Jesus? My guess is that I would receive several different responses to that question. So my hope this morning is to give you the right answer. I'm joking. Um, But my hope this morning is to look at the book of Philippians because I think Paul here is very clear about what it is that true Christian maturity looks at. So it looks like. So let me give you a snapshot of where we're going. I want to do two things. Uh, for the first part, we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at Philippians 3, 12 through 16. So we're going to walk through that text together. We're going to spend the bulk of our time doing that. Second, though, I want to shift gears and I want to look at what God has in that text for us. To ask him what he has for us as we walk out of this place. I've heard it said like this. And I really love it. Um, Not only do we want to read God's word, but we also want to invite God's word to read us. And so this morning, I think that's a great way for us to structure our time. So you ready? We're going to jump in. If you would, find your place. We're in Philippians 3. We'll start in chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to follow along with me. And if not, it'll be up here for you to follow along with me as well. And what we'll do is we'll read the whole thing and then we'll just kind of walk through it together. Starting in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Verse 15 says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? As men and women who want to be mature in Jesus, how should we think? Well, Paul's going to lay that out for us. And so to do that, let's just walk through this. And let's just start right in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. 
pause. Can we relate? Is there imperfection here anywhere? Better, better way to ask this, is anyone here perfect? Good. Don't raise your hand. Your, your spouse would think otherwise on that one. Um, we're in good company because Paul says here, I'm not perfect. And let me remind you, I just want to give you a snapshot of where Paul is in his life right now. When he wrote this letter, it was about 30 years that he had been following Jesus. He'd been a Christian for 30, approximately 30 years when he wrote this letter. 30 years of following Jesus. Now remember, Jesus had come and had changed his life radically, had showed up on the scene, blinded him, changed his heart, gave him a new name, and as we talked about last week, sent him out on a mission to the Gentiles, sent him out, and praise God, he said yes to that. So Paul heard that call, he went. For 30 years, he had devoted his life to ministry, planting churches all over the known world being used by God in incredible ways, suffering for the gospel. Imagine the spiritual battles that Paul would have seen and faced in his time. Imagine the things that his eyes have seen, the victories he had had in his life. Imagine the respect that this church in Philippi had for Paul. And in the midst of that, Paul says, I haven't quite made it yet. I haven't made it yet. And remember, we're coming out of the first part of chapter 3, which is where Paul takes his resume, his whole life, all the things that he had, that he had attained, and all of his heritage, he puts it on the table, and he steps back, and he calls it rubbish. All of the things outside of Christ, rubbish. And we talked about how that's a strong word. Um, that, that word is used to describe that nasty, stinky trash that you have in your house. It's used to describe excrement. It's used to describe that rotten trash, the kind of trash that you get out of your house immediately and take to that outside trash can. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You open that thing up and it's like death, right? You just need to get a hose and go for it. But it smells like death. Let that serve as a little reminder. That is what you have apart from Christ. All of the good it's like that stinky outside trash can. It's rubbish. And so Paul says, apart from Christ, that's what it is. In other words, I still have growing to do. I still have growing to do. So pause button here for a moment of honesty. If Paul had not achieved it yet, if Paul had not attained it yet, after all that God had done in his life and used him, if he stands there and says, I haven't achieved it yet, let's be honest, Neither have I, and neither have you. Neither have I, and neither have you. So we can draw two conclusions really quick, right off the bat before we go any further. First, those in your life who you think have arrived have not. Second, those of you in this room who think you may have arrived also have not. Why? Because the moment in your life in this life, the moment that you finally arrive is a myth. It will never happen because true Christian maturity is a process, a continual process, not a place that you can arrive at. It's not a destination. It is a continual journey. There will never come a time in your life where you reach a place 
a spiritual plateau where you can stop climbing. That time will never come in this life. And true maturity is that continual climbing. It's the continual climb. True maturity is a process. So he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul is calling us to a passionate pursuit. He uses here the word press on. Later, he uses straining forward. These are active, engaging, passionate terms. It's not passive. It's not accidental. But it's an active and engaging, a passionate pressing on, a passionate commitment to keep going. I'll say it like this. The more you become mature in Christ the more you realize how much further you have to go to be like Christ, and the more joy and passion you have in that process. That is true maturity. Church, if God gives you the blessing of 90 years here on this earth, you will be 90 years old and still growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. You will never get to the bottom of this well. True Christian maturity is not a place that you arrive. It's a continual process, and God has you on a process. Now let's continue in verse 12. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, I want to identify in us a sickness that is common to every Christian in this room. Every Christian in this room is going to have what I'm about to say. It's called gospel amnesia. It's that weird thing in us that leaves us prone to forget and prone to wonder. It's gospel amnesia. There will never come a day when you will, need, when you will stop having to preach the gospel to yourself. We have gospel amnesia amnesia. Paul, after 30 years of ministry, is still preaching the gospel to himself. He says, but Jesus made me his own. He's still preaching the gospel to himself. He's still reminding himself of who he is in Christ. After all of that, is reminding himself who he is in Christ. There will never come a day when you've heard it enough. You will never outgrow it. The gospel is just as much for those who are found as it is for those who are lost. It's just as much for followers of Jesus as it is for those who are lost. And if we are here and we've come to a place in our life where the gospel no longer wrecks us, It no longer impacts us. When the good news is anything less than good, when it becomes mundane or tradition or or ordinary, I think what we've done is we've identified in ourselves a massive heart problem. There's an old principle that's time in erodes awareness of. Time in erodes awareness of. The longer you spend in something, the less aware you become of it. 
uh, it's like all of those who are fortunate enough to live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I, come, I came from Dallas where we have nothing. <laughs> nothing. And these people get to look at Pikes Peak all day. Now, what happens, though, over time is that that beautiful scenery, that location that is everyone else's vacation destination becomes their normal ride home. And all of that, it's just, it's beautiful, but you don't notice because time in erodes awareness of. And some of you have been in this so long that you're no longer aware of the wonder, the beauty of the gospel. Why is it that in that moment when Jesus saves someone, there's so much joy and excitement and just passion? Why is it in that moment? It's because they remembered what once was. They remembered their need. They remember their lostness. They remember the darkness. It's because it was right there. It was literally right there. They understand their own darkness. And so the light for them is so bright. It's like that feeling when we walk out of a matinee movie. Have you had that? Where you're just like, ugh, your eyes aren't quite adjusted and you're just, that what, that's what just happened to them. Their eyes haven't even adjusted yet and they are encountering the most marvelous light. But for some of us, we've grown up in this. We've been Christians for many years. Some of you, like Paul, have been Christians for 30 years or more. As long as you can remember, you've been a follower of Jesus. And so, and don't hear me wrong, praise God for your testimony. For those of you who met Jesus at a young age, praise God. I'm praying that testimony for my children. Praise God for your testimony. But let's be honest with one of our tendencies. And that is to get so used to it. We've experienced so, it for so long that something weird happens in us and we kind of start to think we deserve it or we wouldn't say that, but we kind of get used to it. We get accustomed to it. Our eyes have adjusted to it. We have gospel amnesia. We have gospel amnesia. And for as long as you live, it's your responsibility to preach the gospel to yourself. To tell yourself daily what Paul says here. Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has made me his own. Because of that, I press on. Because of that, I move forward in him. Jesus has made me his own. And let's continue on, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, Paul here in a moment is kind of pulling back the curtain on a strategy he has in his life. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. This is a running analogy. It's a race analogy. And Paul uses this all over his writings. Any runners here? No. So this, so this is totally going to... No, I'm joking. Um, it reminds me of a race that I once saw. And, and some of you might have seen this. It's the beauty of Facebook. These videos just kind of go everywhere. 
but it was 2008. It was the college women's Big Ten championship. There were four ladies in this final round. It was the final race. One of the ladies' name was Heather Dornadin. Four ladies. This race was short. It was three laps around this track. The race was incredible. It started off, they were neck and neck. They were jostling for position. The first lap, no one could tell who was going to win this race. It was just back and forth, back and forth. The second lap, same thing. Then something happened as they crossed the line to go into the third lap. Heather took a massive fall. One of those falls that, I mean, picture running, full force, sprinting, just your feet get caught and upper body hits the ground before you can get your hands. I mean, it was face pavement kind of thing. And that happened right as the final lap was starting. But something incredible. I watched this thing a couple times because the moment she went, she popped up and just acted like the thing never happened. She, it was almost like she just face hit, push up, go, and push the gas and just tore around the corner. Now, as I said, during the final lap, she had a lot of ground to cover, but slowly but surely, Heather was catching them. Everyone in the crowd thought, there is no way that, that girl is going to get, you don't recover from that. Face concrete in a race doesn't really bode well for your finishing the race in first, so everyone else may have wrote this girl off, but one by one, the final turn came around, and she passed the one girl, and then as they neared the finish line, she nosed past all of the other girls and won. What happened there? Everyone else in the stadium didn't give her the time of day, but somehow, even after face hit concrete, she never lost sight. Of the goal. It's like she didn't believe that she wasn't, of course I'm going to win. And she pops up, pedal to the floor, and just continues on. Our Christian walk is a little bit like that. It's a little bit like that because some of us, if we're honest, are here and we have a little bit of baggage in our life. We've had, a, we've had a little bit of a tumble. Maybe some of us have some skinned knees and some loss of time. Thankfully, the gospel tells us it's not about how good we are, but it's about how good he is. Thankfully, that's what the gospel tells us. But in the midst of that, even though our position in Christ is not up for debate, we still sit in the weight of our fall. And some of us are right there right now. And some of you are on the other end of the spectrum where you got off to a pretty good start. You've gotten off to a pretty solid start. You blew off the line. It's like if you've watched Olympic swimming, there's always that one guy, it seems like. The horn goes off and he poof, and he's way ahead of the rest of them. And unless his name is Michael Phelps, the pack kind of catches him and he loses at the end. You're kind of like that guy who just, man, blasted out of the gate, blasted out of the gate. And you have, you look back at your life and you have some victories you can stand on. You have some great things that God has accomplished through you that you can stand on. But whatever the race has looked like in your life up until this point, 
whatever it's look like, what you do with your past will profoundly impact your future. What you do with the good, what you do with the bad, it will profoundly impact your future. What you do with the victories and what you do with the defeats. And Paul says, you know what I do? I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I strain forward. Now, let's remember Paul's story. He's had some ugliness in his life. Paul was a murderer of Christians. He devoted his life to hunting them down and killing them. You know the first Christian martyr, Stephen? He was executed at the hands of Paul, then Saul. He did that. Also, he has some pretty incredible things going on in his life, too. You look at how he's given his life to church planning, how God has used him mightily. He's called an apostle. That's pretty cool. He's got a lot going on. We've seen his resume, but both the good and the bad. I forget what lies behind, and I press forward to what lies ahead. Church, don't live on yesterday's successes or failures, but press on, strive on to what lies ahead. Maturity is not found in living in the past. Living in the good old days. It's not found in living in your past mistakes, your past shame. Maturity is continually pressing forward, continually climbing. God has you in a continual process. Now, Paul continues with his racing, his running analogy, which is going to be lost on all of you, apparently. But in verse 14... Strains forward to what lies ahead. And in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here identifies the finish line. And what is it? What is it that we're pushing forward to? What is the finish line? He says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is referring to that day when finally... There's a heavenward call. And like an athlete straining and training and pressing on to the finish line, he presses on for that day. There's going to come a day when God is going to call us to himself. And all of this will be over. The dead in Christ will rise and we'll see and be with Jesus face to face. And that day is our grand finish line. Nothing less. That day is our finish line. So like an athlete, we strain forward with every muscle in our body, with all the physical strength, all the mental strength, all the emotional strength that we have. We press forward to that day, that finish line, knowing that that finish line is coming. Knowing that one day we're going to cross that finish line. We'll have an eternity. Our salvation will be complete in Christ. And for eternity, we will be with him. Our goal is that moment. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 9, 25, that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. 
They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in imperishable, we press on. We strain forward because God has you in a process and true maturity is a process that's founded on the gospel and that strains forward and does not quit until that day. True maturity is like a race and some of us are in mile seven of our marathon. Do not stop. As much as your legs are burning, do not stop. Strain forward. Young people, if you want to be mature in Christ, keep striving. Not young people, if you want to be mature in Christ, (laughs) keep on striving. Maturity does not mean age. It's a continual process. It reminds me of my favorite I don't know if you can have a favorite text, but this one is one of mine. Um, In Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And listen to this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We run this race with endurance all the time with our eyes focused on Him, focused on the gospel, focused on Jesus. Now, we've spent the first few moments uh, reading God's word, and now I want to do like what we said earlier and allow God's word to kind of read us. And I want to ask us, to do that, I want to ask us two questions this morning. The first one is this, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because at the foundation, at the core of all of this, it's him. And without him, none of this can stand. There is no Christian maturity without Christ. He is the foundation. He is at the center. So if you do not know him, Don't go any further than this because at some point it will implode. In our culture, we're we're really good about doing the right things and sometimes going to church and because of cultural expectations or just the way we we were brought up. But at some point, those things fail us. And some of you have experienced that, and some people, unfortunately, in this room are experiencing that. The way things implode without a relationship first with Jesus Christ. It's like doing all the work for a perishable wreath. It doesn't last. So, I'll start with the bad news. The bad news is that you are a sinner And there's nothing you can do to save yourself from that. You need help. You need a Savior. Not only does the Bible tell you that, which it does, but your history tells you that. Your experience screams at the fact that you need help. You can't do this. You need help. And so that's the bad news. The good news is you weren't left in that. That while you were lost, caught, deep in your sin, that Jesus demonstrated his love for you by giving his life for you. 
that he took your sin, that he took your burden that was rightfully yours. He took that on his shoulder. He paid your debt. He died for your sin. And he rose from the dead. And right now in this moment, he's beginning to do a work in your heart. And my prayer this morning is that simply you respond. That simply you respond. Do you know Jesus? If the answer is no, don't go any further. Do not try to become more mature and do all the right things without that. Because it will not work. It starts with the gospel. So here in a moment, if that's you, I want to pray for us and pray specifically for you. You would hear that you would respond. Second question I want to ask us this morning is, are you stalled? Are you stalled? What happens to an airplane when it stops moving forward? Now, my boys love the Disney movie Planes, so I'm pretty much an expert at this right now, but (laughs) it stalls. Because standing still is not a valid option for an airplane or for a water skier (laughs) or for us as followers of Jesus. Standing still is not a valid option. Are you stalled? Are you living on yesterday's growth? On the good old days? When you're asked a spiritual question, is your instinct to go back to what you learned in ninth grade Sunday school? Now, don't hear me wrong. Praise God for your foundation. But have you grown since then? Are you growing daily in that? Are you living off yesterday's growth? How many times do you go back to that one time 15 years ago when you stepped out and you risked something for Jesus? Are you living off those good old days? Are you stalled? Or are you living off of yesterday's mistakes? And when you're asked a spiritual question, your walls just go, they come up. Because you don't think there's any way God could use you. God wouldn't have, no, he wouldn't do that. I mean, he knows me. He wouldn't use me in that way. Listen, the past, the good, the bad, the ugly can stall you quicker than anything else can. It can stall you quicker than anything else can. And Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on, straining on toward what lies ahead. Are you stalled this morning? Now, for some of us, we're stalled, but it has nothing to do with our past. We're just here, and we've gotten distracted and tired, and we've just simply taken the foot off the gas. We've taken the foot off the gas, and our life looks less like a race and more like just a a walk in the park. We don't risk any of that. I don't want to hurt my legs, so I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to take it slow. It's a long race. And we mentally consent to the fact that somewhere up there is a finish line. Somewhere up there, we're going to see a finish line. But that reality does nothing in our life. The reality that there is a finish line doesn't impact the way we live whatsoever. Why push it? You know, why push it? As time goes by... The urgency, 
the passion, the focus, the striving, it gives way to leisure, recreation, distraction, and a lack of purpose. Because we've lost sight and we've stalled. Even though we understand the concept that we're in a race, but this whole pressing on thing, this whole striving forward thing, we don't really see that play out. Now listen, if that's you, if you are stalled this morning, let me be clear, there's only one motivation that will last. I could give you a motivational speech or an inspirational speech to say, come on, you can do this, let's get out there, let's do this. And that would last for maybe two days. I'm not that good at that would last for maybe two days, and you would be right back here, stalled. There is only one motivation that will last, and that is the gospel. Only the gospel. When you think about what God has done for you, what he's doing in you, that he loves you, that he's called you his child, and that propels you forward, that's the only motivation that will last. We're not driven by guilt or by pride, or by sheer brute willpower, all of those things will fade. And some of you are stronger than others, and so you last three more days. But it will fade. It will fade. The gospel is the answer. And so begin to preach the gospel to yourself daily. Begin to remind yourself of your identity in Christ, that he loved you, that he died for you, that he set you free, that he's, he's called you to a new life in him, that he's adopted you as a son and a daughter. Remind yourself of that identity, and from that, allow the joy that comes from knowing you're his fuel you forward to that finish line. Because no other motivation will last. Find ways to pour the gospel into your life daily. Read. Listen to messages or sermons. Uh, listen to audiobooks. Find ways to pour it into every conversation you have with people. Find ways to turn everyday moments into gospel moments. Find ways to pour the gospel daily into your life. If you're stalled this morning, I want to pray for you. Because life is too short. This race is too short too precious to waste, and we have a lot of work still to accomplish, many miles still to go. Let's finish well. Let's finish this race well, because true Christian maturity is a gospel-centered process that presses on to that final day when we see Jesus face to face. So church, let's finish well. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you, and first and foremost, we thank you for your work in our life. I pray for the people in this room. I pray for those who do not yet follow you, who do not yet know you, and I pray that right now, in this moment, you begin to move in their heart. Show them the wonder of you. 
that this will be the moment that they step from darkness to the marvelous light. And God, I also pray for those in this room who are stalled, who have not grown, who have not developed in many years. And I pray the same prayer, that you show them how incredibly marvelous you are. And from there, send us out. Let us finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.